Well, good morning. It's still morning, right? Am I the only one whose time is all messed up? We did not sleep enough in my house last night, so I'm still a little recovering from that. And um, I've, my wife and I have learned something. We understand why people have children in their 20s and 30s, because having a baby in the house at 43 is complicated. <laughs> So my encouragement to you is to do whatever the Lord says. <laughs> I will make no other statements about your child-rearing habits as a couple, if you are one. Let me ask a question about, about uh, doing work in a house. Have you ever tiled a floor? Only Dr. Martin. <laughs> so you know the pain of this story, I'm sure. Uh, or maybe in your bathroom or the wall in a bathroom. It's kind of a difficult process. It's, it's really particular. You have to have a plan of attack, especially if you're thinking about tiling the floor. You can't just start all willy-nilly. If you did, you might end up in the corner, tiled in, having to wait for everything to dry before you can get out. I've not done that yet. Um, You might also end up just making a bunch of tiles that are crooked and an ugly job that you will not be proud of, leaving yourself, you know, with shame. (laughs) Great shame on you and your family for how poorly you put tiles on the floor. (laughs) Well, when I was a teenager, my father was not scared of this shame, because at 17 or so, my dad gave me the task of retiling a, a, a floor in our house. I'm not sure what he was thinking. I'm not exactly what wisdom he was drawing from in that moment, but his trust in me as a 17-year-old was inspiring for me. At the beginning, dad walked through a long list of things, best practices and instructions, a lecture. And you know how 17-year-olds are with lectures. It did not go well. I didn't really listen. I completely and totally ignored everything he said, well, more or less. I listened to a few things. And frankly, as he was talking, at some point, his voice kind of melded into that Charlie Brown adult drone, womp, 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 womp. And I heard something about spacers and grout and whatever. I didn't really pay attention. He stopped talking, and I thought, it's time to get to work because I got other stuff to do. And I mixed up the grout, I made a basic plan, I'd start in one corner, I'd walk my way, work my way to the door so I could get out. That sounded like a good idea. I spread the grout out and I laid the first tile. I used the spacers as best I knew how, I laid the tile. I went to the second using the spacers and everything I was supposed to do as far as I understood, and then the third and the fourth and the fifth and so on. And I got literally three rows in and I realized that there was a problem. Everything was crooked <laughs> and you could tell because it didn't line up with the wall. Something was wrong. I I didn't really understand, though, and I was sitting there staring at my work, thoroughly confused as to what had gone wrong, because I did the best I could. Now, I didn't listen to the instructions, so it was my fault. But I, I did my best. I thought I did what was right. I sat there for a while, and then finally I did that very shameful thing that you do as a 17-year-old boy sometimes. You call out for help. <laughs> so I call out, hey, Dad, come help. He comes back into the room, he looks at my work, and he chuckled a little bit, which I personally found very offensive. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then he said the thing he always says. He, he starts all, every time he wants to teach me a lesson. My dad, still, he does this. Now, son. Always, now, son. He says, now, son. Do you see what happened? Obviously not, dad. Like, I called you in here because I don't understand. I, I mixed everything correctly. I spread it out correctly. I used the spacers correctly. Dad, I did everything right. And he said, where did you start? I showed him. This is where I started. I pointed to that first tile, and, 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 that first tile, and Dad continued. He said, do you see that right there? He pointed. I look at it. I don't see anything, Dad. 
He pointed more closely to the gap between the, the tile and the wall. I'd only placed one spacer on one part of the tile and not both sides of the tile. So just as I pushed the tile down to seed it into the grout, it had gotten just a, a half a degree or a, a degree off. And that, that half a degree or degree, as I put the next tile and the next tile and the next tile, was translated to every other tile, all the way through those three rows. Dad said, well, you can't leave it like this, son. You've got to make it right. So then I had to rip up all the tiles I just set, scrape out all the grout, and the really bad thing is that I broke some of those tiles, taking them out, and I had to pay for them to be, repaired, uh, to be replaced, which is not fun for my 17-year-old self. Dad wanted me to do the job right, and he knew that just those little degree at the beginning would make it where the whole thing didn't work. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to a similar theme, and that's of Jesus as our cornerstone, as was read for us in 1 Peter chapter 2. And this concept of, of Jesus as our cornerstone is vital to our faith as Christians because it speaks to the very foundation of our trust in him. In this passage, Peter reminds us of the importance of Jesus as our cornerstone and how our lives are built on him. And we're going to ask this question, what does it mean to have Jesus as our cornerstone? What does it mean for us to build our lives on him? And we're going to delve into this idea of Jesus as cornerstone this morning in some detail. Will you pray with me? Almighty Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we read in 1 Peter 4 through 6, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Here, Peter's suggesting to us that if we build our lives on Jesus, if we build our lives on the living stone, who's a precious and chosen cornerstone, things will go the way they're supposed to go. Now, he calls him the living stone. Now, we don't normally think about stones as living, do we? That's a weird juxtaposition, isn't it? Maybe Peter's trying to find an evocative way to communicate to us something important, namely that Jesus is living. Amen? Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Thank you. <laughs> I always leave it to Todd to get the liturgy right. <laughs> he's, he's resurrected and he's living. He is eternal. Jesus is living. Amen. He's also our stone. He's a stone. He's faithful and he's strong. It's why Jesus said to Simon, your name will be Peter. Your name will be rock or stone because you're going to be a, a solid foundation on which to build. Jesus is living and he's our stone. Not only is he a living stone, but he's a chosen and precious cornerstone. Peter's saying that Jesus is the Father's beloved Messiah. He's the Father's cherished chosen one. In order to make sense of all of this, so we've got to understand the significance of a cornerstone, especially in ancient times. Today, we have high precision, precision tools that can do everything just so. In the ancient world, it wasn't exactly the same, was it? So we need to understand what a cornerstone was for them. In those days, builders would use a large, sturdy stone as the cornerstone of a building. It was usually very carefully chosen, and it served as the foundation upon which all the rest of the building would be constructed. 
The cornerstone was the most important stone in the building, and it had to be perfectly placed and perfectly aligned so that the rest of the building would be stable because every other stone would be placed against it and against the stones that were placed against them. The cornerstone holds great significance in the construction process because it sets the alignment and the orientation for the rest of the building. Kind of like that first tile should have been for 17-year-old Matt. It was supposed to set the alignment and the orientation for all the rest of the tiles. That's what the cornerstone is supposed to do. Builders ensure that the cornerstone is perfectly level and perfectly square, as even a very small misalignment can have a significant consequence for the stability and the appearance of the finished structure. This cornerstone supports the weight of the entire building and transfers that load to the ground. A strong and properly placed cornerstone ensures that the building remains stable and durable over time. If it's a wonky cornerstone, you're going to have a wonky building that's going to fall down. In ancient, in ancient cultures, the cornerstone was often considered special or sacred even, sometimes inscribed with information like the date of construction or the name of the builder or even a dedication to a deity. In this sense, the cornerstone was a symbol then of the building's purpose and the people's commitment to their beliefs and their values as a community. In the same way or in a similar way, Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. We can say that he's the perfectly chosen and perfectly aligned foundation upon which our spiritual lives are built. As our cornerstone, Jesus provides stability. He provides alignment and direction. He provides purpose for our lives. He ensures that we remain firm in our faith and continue to grow spiritually. Friends, Jesus is the foundation upon which all of our lives, our hope, and our trust are built. Without him, without Jesus, friends, our faith is nothing. It's nothing. It's through Jesus' life and his sacrifice and, and his cross and his resurrection that we're saved and no other way. It's through his teachings and the example of his life that we learn how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Sisters and brothers, Jesus is our cornerstone. Will you say that with me? Jesus is our cornerstone. Amen. Now, interestingly, whenever commentators and scholars look at this passage, they'll often say, especially those who are theologically oriented, they'll say something like this, that these verses are some of the most ecclesiologically dense verses in the New Testament. That is, they tell us quite a bit about who we are as a community of followers of Jesus. If Jesus is our cornerstone, then what does it mean for us to be his followers? What does it mean? What's the practical output? Well, Peter says that we're stones too. We're stones too. He reminds us that we're like living stones. We're being built into a spiritual house. He's saying we're part of something that's bigger than us, greater than us. He's saying we're better together than we ever would be as an individual stone. Think about that. What if we had one building stone here? What would we do with that? What would you do with one building stone? I mean, you'd sit on it, you paint it, carve something into it, put it in the yard, 20 years later, wonder why you put that big rock in the yard, you know? What would the purpose of that be? Nobody knows. It would be useless. But what if you were to take lots and lots of building stones? You could do all kinds of stuff with that, couldn't you? 
to build a building, a building. And apparently that's what Peter has in mind. He begins to shift his metaphor from this cornerstone idea to a royal priesthood, and, he, and that, that pivot point is a building, and it must have, he must have had in mind as he was inspired by the Spirit to think about a temple. It reminds me of Jesus thinking about the stones at the temple that would be all thrown down. Peter must have been thinking about those stones and how we are built up as a spiritual house, a temple for the Holy Spirit. And, and if we're a temple, if there's a temple in his mind, he then goes to think this. He says that as living stones were built up together, becoming a holy priesthood. That's the transition. He transitions from a building to priesthood and temples in the middle. And there's something about being a priesthood that he wants to focus on as what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. A holy priesthood. We sang about holiness, God's holiness, right? If we're a holy priesthood, friends, we need to be reminded that our holiness comes not from our energy. Friends, our holiness comes not from our effort, though it does require effort. Our holiness comes not from how effective we are. Because frankly, if we're really effective, we might be proud and therefore not holy. Amen? Our holiness, friends, comes from being connected as living stones to our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who's perfectly square and true. As we are flushly connected to Jesus as our cornerstone, that's where our holiness comes from. It does not come from our effort, our energy, or our effectiveness. It comes from Jesus Christ. As we connect with him, friends, we become square and true. When we connect with him, we become square and true. But what happens when we let something in that connection? Not so square and true anymore. We have to get that out and be connected again, flush, square, and true. How do we remain holy? We remain holy as a community, not just as individuals, but as a community by being flushly connected to Jesus as our cornerstone. Friends, we're a holy priesthood. That means that we inherit and translate the holiness of Jesus from our lives into the lives of others. We inherit it from Jesus, and we can translate it into the lives of others as they are connected to us, stone on stone on stone. Friends, we are a priesthood, a holy priesthood, but, but we're a priesthood. And what did priests do in the ancient world? Among other things, they offered sacrifices to a deity. So as a royal, holy priesthood, this means we have a sacrifice to offer too. We have to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does this mean? As I was reflecting on this, I was reminded that, that John Wesley talks about this on his sermon that we've all read on perfection, or many of us who've taken the class or are trying to get up on Wesley and stuff like I am. We've read on perfection. And in that, in that sermon, Wesley says this, when he's, when he's reflecting on the idea of what's our, the question, what's our job as a holy priest, that he says, we offer up to God all our thoughts, words, and actions through the Son of his love as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. What's our, what's our offering? We offer our thoughts, our words, and our actions through Jesus, and it's a sacrifice of prayer, of praise and thanksgiving. But how? How do we offer up our lives as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving? Well, I think we do it by following the example of Jesus. As living stones, we're most useful as we stay connected to Jesus, flush against him. Not wampy jawed, not out of sorts, not cattywampus, not out of whack or wonky or whatever other euphemism you have. We are flush with him. 
We're to be like our cornerstone. The only way we can be like our cornerstone is by being flush with him, connected with him. He, we are to abide with him, amen? We are to abide with him. He is the vine and we are the branches connected to him. And how did Jesus live? As we are connected to him, we, we start acting like him. We, are, we become like him. And how did he live? He lived a life of sacrifice and service. Friends, he gave up his life for us on the cross. And he calls us to live a life of sacrificial love, not just as individuals, as a community. In John 13, Jesus gave us a new command to love one another as I have loved you. And two chapters later, he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sisters and brothers, we are called to lay down our lives for each other, just as Jesus has done for us. We're called to love others as we have been loved. We're called to serve them with humility and compassion just as Jesus has shown us how to do. We're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world, sharing his love and his message of hope with those around us. You know, this is something we affirm every time we take communion together. So if you stay for daily Eucharist, you will affirm this again. Listen to this quote from our Eucharistic liturgy, and we're praying to God in this part of the liturgy. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Because of Christ's offering, we're a holy priesthood offering ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice. Friends, what is that sacrifice? It's a sacrifice of love for one another. Is this easy? No. Love means putting the interests of someone else above your own and then acting on that, right? That's hard. <laughs> it's hard because we're selfish. It's also hard because our life is crazy. Our world is challenging. We face challenges in life that can cause us to stumble away from our mission. We may face rejection, persecution in some parts of our world, even death for our faith. But we must remember, friends, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, that Jesus is the cornerstone upon which our lives are built. He's the rock that we can cling to in times of trouble. As we stay connected to him, fully fleshly connected to him, we'll be able to lean on his stability. We'll be able to lean on his holiness and lean on his love. We don't have to muster them up. We lean on his. Matthew, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he records Jesus saying a very famous parable in chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his, his house on a sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Which of those builders do you want to be? I mean, I'm, I'm way too often the one who built on sand. I'll be honest. I'm sure you are too. I want to be the one that builds on the rock, builds fully flush to Jesus as the cornerstone. Friends, we need to be like that wise builder who builds his house on the rock of Jesus Christ. We must put his words into practice, live our lives in accordance with his teachings. When we do this, we will withstand the storms of life, even the storms of a hyper-intense semester. We can withstand them because, like the bishop said, we trust the word of God. 
And it says that if we build on the rock, we will withstand the storm. Maybe not the way we wanted, but we will withstand the storm. We have to be like that wise builder, building on Jesus as our cornerstone. But what does it mean to do so? It means we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It means we love our neighbor. It means we serve others as the example of Jesus shows us. It means we share the good news of Jesus with those around us. It means we live this life of sacrificial love. Here's how Peter put it in the passage that Melody read for us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Friends, that's our identity. That's our identity. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Out of our identity comes our purpose. Out of our identity comes our purpose. Once you were a people, not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Sisters and brothers, we are God's chosen people. We are his special possession. We are a holy people, a royal priesthood. We have been chosen to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. How could we be silent? We've been chosen to live our lives as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God. Remember that story of me tiling at the beginning? Don't be like teenage Matt. <laughs> Don't first listen to wise counsel, which might not be mine, but listen to wise counsel. Don't start off a few degrees off. Don't start off a few degrees off, thus messing up everything. Start off fully flush to Jesus, our cornerstone. In this corner, a stone to call our own, a rock of ages, a foundation known. Jesus, our cornerstone, so strong and true, a beacon shining both me, for both me and you. Through weary days and lonesome nights, we find in him a solace and a love that binds his sacrifice, a rhythm to our song, the cornerstone that makes our spirit strong. In storms and strife, his presence we endure, his presence we embrace, a steadfast love we cannot outpace. Through tears and laughter, dreams and fears we share, our cornerstone is shelter always there. On life's long road, when with twists and turns we roam, yet in his arms we always find our home. Together, Built on faith, we rise above, forever grateful for his endless love. Will you pray with me? Almighty Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of our lives, the cornerstone of our families, of our friends, of our community, the cornerstone of Asbury Theological Seminary. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross and for the teachings that he left for us to follow. Help us build our lives on him and to offer up to you continually all our thoughts, our words, and our actions as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Help us to follow his example, living a life of sacrificial love, a life of serving others with humility and compassion. Father, help us trust him by your spirit knowing that he is the rock and that we can cling to him in times of trouble.
We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.